Father, this morning, we come to you praising you, thanking you, rejoicing, Father, in the joy that we find through Jesus Christ. The love and the peace that we find in Him can compare to no earthly treasure, no earthly relationship, no earthly joy. And Father, we would come this morning seeking to know You, seeking to be known by You, Lord, seeking to be experiencing the fullness of Your Spirit. And we pray, Father, that You would draw close to us this morning. We lift up those families that have had loss this week, and we pray, Father, that Your Spirit would be close to them, that You would draw near to them, that You would minister to them. And Father, we pray that our church family would also put their arms around them. Father, it's terrible to lose loved ones. It's terrible to lose children and parents and brothers and sisters and and friends, Lord, but we know that this is not your original plan. So we pray, dear Father, that as we draw close to each other, we draw close to you, Lord, that your love would fill our hearts and fill those voids that we often experience. And now, Father, we turn our eyes upon you to be drawn to you through the worship of the word, and we pray that that word would be broken today, that our hearts would be comforted, convicted, and encouraged. And Lord, we ask all these things to be poured out in Jesus' precious name. Let everyone say, Amen. I want to just review with you from last Sabbath a few statements and a few thoughts before we move in here. Adventist Home, page 17, says, God would have our families symbols of the family in heaven. Let parents and children bear this in mind every day, relating themselves to one another as members of the family of God. Then their lives will be such a character as to give to the world an object lesson of what families who love God and keep His commandments may be. Christ will be glorified. His peace and grace and love will pervade the family circle like a precious perfume. How many of you think that's a beautiful statement? Amen? How many of you want your homes to be like this? Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have children, it doesn't matter. Our homes are to be this. And God desires and has designed that the family would be a revelation of the relationship between Himself and His people on earth. Amen? But even further than that, God would design that the family unit would be a revelation of the relationship between the Trinity in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm very thankful for that this morning. Amen. So we saw last week, real quickly, that From ages 0 to 3, the child watches and learns more from who? From the mother, right? And then from the ages of 3 to 5, the child watches and learns more from who? The father. And I talked about my son. What I wanted you to see and remind you of this week is that from ages 5 to 9, the child actually watches how the mother and the father do what? Interact with each other. Isn't that interesting? So 0 to 3... You can, you, you can be sure, my daughter is attached at my wife's hip. She has to know where my wife is all the time. If my wife leaves and I'm there with her, she loves Papa, but she's always asking, where's Mommy? Where's Mommy? When's Mommy coming back, right? My son right now, he's four and a half, he's attached at my hip. He wants to be everywhere that I am. And the more time we spend together, the more that bond is developed. But from the ages of five to nine, it's very, very important that we understand that the child watches the mother and the father, how they interact. I would propose to you today 
that the child actually watches the mother and father their whole life. Amen? But in that intimate level of development, from the ages of zero to nine, children are watching. Yes or no? Very important. These influence the child's foundational character for life. Very important. Theodore Hesburgh said the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their what? To love their mother. A man ought to live so that everybody knows he's a Christian, and most of all, his family ought to know. Now, I want to mention something here <clears throat> that I think is very important. You see, when you're... Well, I'll come back to it. Let me just do it in a minute. So we looked at the biblical formula from Colossians 3 for how to bring that family together spiritually. Remember that last week? We looked at the biblical model for family worship and what that ought to look like in the home. And right there in Colossians 3, it gives it to us step by step by step. I'm just going to review these steps. Number one, we found from Colossians 3, 2, that we should choose to set our mind on what kind of things? Heavenly things. Are you guys awake today? I know some of us are missing over at the Grand Ledge Church for the school, but the rest of you here, that means you've got to kick it up a notch. Amen? All right, there you go. Secondly, be committed to putting off what kind of things? Earthly things. Number three, we must practice intentional love through humility, forgiveness, responsibility, and apology. So as we're preparing for family worship, we want to make sure that our relationships are correct with each other. Yes or no? Yes? And that we have made those apologies that are necessary. We have taken responsibility for our, our actions that have hurt each other. We've asked for forgiveness. Number four, practice intentional love through appreciation for one another. Talking about uh, sharing what you appreciate about each other. Does that, does that build each other up in the Lord, yes or no? It does, doesn't it? It helps you appreciate each other. Number five, asking the question, what are we thankful for? By expressing thanksgiving to God in verse 6, 15. No, uh, number uh, 6, verse 16, opening God's Word together. So we're either sharing some passages from the Bible or we're opening or reading some kind of story, etc. Number 7 was verse 16, singing together. He said, let your hearts be knitted together by singing. And then number 8, praying together and for each other. Amen? These were the elements of family worship, and I talked about them more in depth last week, but I'm just reviewing them for you this week. And Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor, made this statement, the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business, and his business is the business of transformation. Amen? How many believe today that Jesus can transform our homes? What do you think? You know, in the last days, Satan is attacking two elements in the world. He's attacking the Sabbath, and he's attacking marriage. And the Sabbath is the test for the world, and I believe this morning that's, that marriage is the test for the church. I mean, Sabbath is the test for the church as well. But if we can't get it right in the home, we're not going to get it right in the church, are we? If we can't get it right in the home, we're, we're going to receive the mark of the beast because the pressure is going to be too much, isn't it? So we must have homes that are heavenly. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So there's some important words about marriage. I'm going to address for a few minutes the single people for, for just a few here. In 1886, it was written that this subject, marriage, concerns your happiness more than any other event in your life. Isn't that interesting? 
Marriage affects the afterlife both in this world and in the world to come. Ministry of Healing, page 359. So is marriage something that's important, yes or no? Now, I realize that we live in a broken world. Don't misunderstand my intentions in this presentation this morning. We live in a broken world, and things are really messed up, and our minds are messed up, our bodies are messed up, our emotions are messed up, our hormones are messed up, and I'm talking about both male and female. Our feelings are messed up, and a lot of things are messed up. Amen? That's why, more than ever, it is important for us to abide by principle rather than how we feel or what our emotions are feeling. You understand that? Now, I know that there's been broken homes. I understand all this. And make sure you understand that Pastor West this morning is not attacking or coming down or condescending those broken homes. You understand? The purpose of this is healing. No matter where we are, if we're in a rough marriage, if we're in a divorced home, if we're in a separated home, we can all do something to take us to the next step that Jesus wants to carry us. Amen? Yes or no? And that's the purpose of this. We can learn from our mistakes, we can make corrections, and by the grace of God, move forward in His love. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want to go with you this morning to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look a little bit here at the theology of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. Go with me into the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis 2 and verse 18. The very first what in Scripture? Hello? The very first what? Marriage, right? The very first marriage, Adam and Eve, and Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Just about every blessing and problem you could find in marriage, you can find in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Very interesting. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, I want, you, I want to point out something very interesting here. <clears throat> Many people think that God is selfish and restrictive. How many, of you people, how many of you have heard people say that, right? And God made Adam, and God recognized, he knew it would be so from the beginning, of course, because he knows all things, but God saw that Adam was lonely and he needed a companion, right? God could have been selfish and said, no, I'm going to keep Adam all to myself. He doesn't need a helper because that helper is going to take some of his affection, some of his attention, and some of his devotion away from me, right? So God could have made all males or all females, and he could have just left it at that. But God saw that we need a what? A helpmate. And so God is very powerful to understand this, that God unselfishly gave of himself to Adam through Eve, knowing ahead of time that some of his devotion will be taken off of God and given to her, some of his attention. That doesn't mean we're, not, we're always 100% devoted to God. You don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But he gave some of that away very powerfully, very, very amazingly, very unselfishly, because he was seeking for the good of Adam's happiness. Amen? God was willing to, to, to do without something himself in order to give away. Now, of course, Adam and Eve were made complete, and their union together, worshiping God, was complete. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but you get the point. Now, going on to verse 19, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, 
That was its name. So Adam gave names to all the animals, or I'm sorry, all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord (coughs) caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one what? One flesh. Now, something that's very powerful here is that when the Bible says that they shall become one flesh, the Hebrew word there is the word ikad, which means it's actually the plural form of one. The plural form of one. It's the same verse or the same word used in the book of Deuteronomy when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one. Right? That's the word that the Jehovah Witnesses often use to say there's only one God and Jesus is, is not really divine and all this. But the word one is ikad, which means a plural form of one, which means that from the very beginning, God was intending for us to not be um, separated from each other, but to be what? But to be one. Not to be individuals. I mean, to be individuals, yes, to maintain our individuality, but to come together in a beautiful way to make a deeper impression of unity. Amen? So, the purpose of marriage, friends, is not simply for me to be happy. The purpose of marriage is for us to develop a character like Christ. You understand that? Because I want to put, I think about this example. When we're single, before we get married, we have a lot of defects of character, don't we? We all have them, do we not? And when I'm single, I can interact with people, and, and when I get to that place where I am like just, um, I can't handle any more of people, how many of you ever get that way? And you're just like, I'm just done, you know? If I have to interact with people anymore, I'm going to start to lose my spirituality here. I have to retreat. You can go back to yourself, and you can go back to your room and to your house and whatever, and you can just kind of vegetate, yes or no? And you can be by yourself. But when you become married, and you're tired, and you're irritable, and you're frustrated, and you're mad at the world, and et cetera, et cetera, you go back to your home, and who's there? It's your spouse. Are you with me? And so there's that person there, and it's that person that God has called me to connect with and to be closer to than anyone else in the world. And it's the person, it is the person whom God has called me to express the depths of His love to, and it's the person that knows me better than anyone else. It's the person that knows all my weakness, all my shortcomings, and all my difficulties, and I cannot hide, I cannot escape, I cannot just go away from that person, yes or no? That's what marriage is designed to do. It is designed to develop our characters to make us holy. The greatest purpose of marriage, friends, is not happiness. It's holiness. 
is to develop the character to become more like Christ. But let me just fill you in on this. You know, many people today are getting married because they want to be happy. You understand? And they're looking to that person to fulfill their needs. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. They're looking to that person to fulfill their needs when in fact that's the opposite of what should happen. But as God develops holiness in me through marriage and character development, I can become happy. Amen? That's the happiness that takes place. Now, there's something... Adam and Eve, when they entered into that marriage covenant, that's exactly what it was. There's there's two elements today in... uh, I should say two types of marriage in the world today. There is a covenant marriage and there is a contract marriage. And we're going to look at the difference between those two. But I want you to notice what God's covenant was in Genesis 2. This is Genesis 2 plan. If you study through that passage, you'll find this to be the case. (coughs) Number one, God desires us through marriage, but also before marriage, to develop some sort of spiritual maturity. In other words, when I am seeking or thinking about a spouse, I must have some kind of spiritual maturity about myself. Would that be a good idea, yes or no? It'd be a good idea. And as I interact with that person, I, be, I become uh, socially interactive with them. I, I, I get to know that person. I'm talking right now about a single person. And I get to know that person. But there should be first a spiritual or a social connection. Which one do you think? There ought to be some kind of spiritual connection, right? If I'm simply getting to know that person because I'm interested in how they look, how they act, or whatever, it's for the wrong reasons, right? For the wrong reasons. I should be drawn to that person because they are exuding Christ. They are revealing Christ to me. That's why I should be drawn to them. Now, it doesn't, I'm not saying that physical attraction, all that's not important, but what I'm saying is it's not primary. It's not first. You understand? That's why you see sometimes beautiful women with not so beautiful, in the case of my wife and I. Anyway, once there's a social interaction, once there's a spiritual connection and a social interaction, then there should be a mental connection where I begin to connect with that person mentally. Okay? Then once that happens, there is a certain amount of emotional attachment that begins to take place. But you must understand that I am not giving my emotions completely to that person. Are you with me? Because that's only reserved until when? Are you guys sleeping? It's only, it's only not even barely afternoon. All right. And then once I have marriage, then there comes a physical intimacy and then a complete and full mental and emotional intimacy that takes place. Now, what you're going to find, <coughs> which I'm going to show you, is that this is God's plan for your life. Yes or no? And if, and if you um, follow this before getting married, hopefully you have a, you're having a good experience. If you're not, there may be other issues that can... That can but if you're not, I'm going to show you Satan's counterfeit here in just a minute. Now, I want to just say to some of those who are single this morning, don't underestimate the value of being single. Amen? Don't do that. Paul says, I would that all men were even as myself, but every man has his proper gift from God after this manner, another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried widows, it is good for them to be if they abide even as I. Now, Paul wasn't saying it's bad to get married, but he's saying, look, 
When you're single, take advantage of it. Don't spend all your time whining and pining that you're single. Serve the Lord God. And do you think, friends, do you think that if you serve God faithfully, that somehow, somewhere, some way, God has the ability then to bring you in contact with someone else who's also faithfully serving God, and He could bring your hearts together. What do you think? Think that's possible? But if you're whining and pining and desperate, guess what? You're going to find others who are whining, pining, and desperate. That's the way it works. Yes? It's very true. Now, Jesus said, Matthew 19, 11, and 12, He talks about eunuchs who are born from the mother's womb, eunuchs who are made so by men, like it was Daniel. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake, and He was able to accept it, let Him accept it. So not all can accept that. We understand that because marriage was part of God's plan, and even Jesus said that. He makes that statement. But the point is, if you're single, serve God with all your heart and strength. Because when you're married, that attention is going to be what? It's going to be divided, isn't it? God may not be calling you to a lifetime of single ministry, but He may be calling you to it for a certain period of time. You can be very productive for God's work as a single person and are able to do many things that you cannot do being married. I found that when I got married, it, div <coughs> it divided my time, it divided my attention, it divided my energy. Then when I had a child, it divided even more. Then when I had a second child, it divided even more. I'm not saying that's bad, but there are certain things that I cannot do now having children that single people can do. You understand what I'm saying here? All right. Now, here's a thought question for those of you. Are you perfectly content to remain single as long as it is God's will for you and yield your will to His recognizing that He knows what's best for your life? Are you willing to do that this morning if you're single? Amen? Because it's often when a person really surrenders that to God, that's when He brings that person along. Sometimes we think we're surrendered, but we're not. If you can't be live, happy living single with Christ as your sole companion you will likely rush into a huge mistake with a marriage that leads to major unhappiness in the long run. What do you think? Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be what? To be content. That's with Christ. Is it better... Let me just back up here. I think it's getting out of hand. Here we go. Is it better to go through a short time of patient singleness with a desire for marriage or to get married hastily and be miserable for the next 40 to 60 years and end up in divorce. Which one do you think? It's better to wait, isn't it? You'd better wait and make sure that it's God's uh, will for you. This is from a letter that was written in 1874. It says, Your feelings of unrest and loneliness may be for your good. Your Heavenly Father means to teach you to find in Him the friendship and love that will satisfy your most earnest hopes and desires. So where are we to find our are the true love that will only satisfy the soul first and foremost. Where? In Him. If you're not happy with Him, if we're happy with God, we can be happy with anything else, can't we? That means single, happiness, whatever. And, and if we're walking around saying, I'm not happy because I'm not married, then you've got the wrong picture in mind. You've got the wrong picture. Because God gives you true joy in your life. And with Him, you're complete. The, the marriage comes to bring, yes, maybe a deeper happiness, but also a holiness to your life that you didn't have before. Amen? Not that marriage doesn't bring happiness, 
but we ought to be able to be content. Too many people look to human relationships to fulfill only the need that Christ can. Amen? All right. Ecclesiastes 3, a couple of verses for you. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to embrace and a time to what? To refrain from embracing, a time to love and a time to hate. Song of Solomon, do not, chapter 3, verse 5, do not stir up or awaken love till the time is right. Till it pleases, it says, but that's the actual translation, until the time is right. So, in a Genesis 2 covenant relationship, where we're married together. Notice this. They are joined together in every way. The covenant, the covenant relationship, the covenant marriage, rather than a contract marriage, says <coughs> that I would rather be split in two than to split you in two. That's what a covenant, when God enters a covenant relationship with us, it's a beautiful thing because also in Genesis, he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he tells Abraham to split all these animals down the middle. I mean, you remember that story? And then God passes through it with a fire. And basically what God was saying to Abraham is, I am willing, and as I enter this covenant with you, I am willing to be split in half for you if that's what's necessary to preserve your life. And that's exactly what he did. Amen? You guys look so just, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just paranoid. I don't know. But anyway. Smile every once in a while, okay? All right, so a covenant relationship says, I would rather be split in two than for you to be split in two. In other words, I'm willing to give myself completely and totally for you. That's what a covenant relationship is. You understand? We will, I will serve you above myself and seek the other's good rather than my own. However, in seeking my good, my needs often are met, but yet my greater joy is in seeing your needs met rather than my own. That's a covenant relationship. Amen? My joy is in seeing you have your needs met and seeing you have what you need to be a blessing and successful. That's what true covenant is. Now, listen, this is selfless love. This is unselfish love that only comes from above. Amen? Now, the way that God has designed it is that when I unselfishly seek to meet the needs of my spouse, whose needs always get met? Mine do as well. You understand that? Because the cycle goes. If, if, I'm, if I'm doing the same for that person in a covenant relationship, that person is doing the same for me. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Now, sometimes there's a, there's a selfishness that gets involved, and that other person becomes selfish, and the cycle is broken, and sin breaks that cycle, you see. But in the covenant relationship, it's a greater joy for me to see you happy than it is for my needs to be met. That can only take place, friends, if self is crucified. Are you with me? That can only happen if I'm on the cross and Jesus is on the throne of my heart. It cannot happen any other way. That's why so many people today are selfish and self-centered and self-focused because they have not crucified self. They have not allowed Christ to live within. They have not been born again. They do not have agape love living within their hearts. So the, it seeks to bless others rather than myself. It's others-focused rather than self-focused. Now you look in Genesis 2.23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is called woman 
because she was taken out of who? Out of man. And so, listen, Adam is basically recognizing that this woman was brought forth from myself. Therefore, she is a part of me, and I am a part of her. And our mutual love, our mutual covenant is to care for one another at the denial of self. This is the most fundamental, basic principle of marriage. And if your marriage is not having this experience, it's because that one or both of you have not been born again. You have not been crucified to self. Now, now sometimes maybe you have, and you need to just get some, some, some fine tune-ups, understand? Communication and those kind of things. But as a general case, it's because one of us are not converted. I want you to notice this. If you're going to have a successful marriage, God must be the center of that marriage. I mean, that goes without saying, and that's a very fundamental thing. But look, here I am together with my wife. The closer that each of us come to God, the closer we come to who? Each other. Bottom line. Bottom line. And people say, yeah, but that so, sounds so cliche. Well, the reality is, is that Sometimes we know things and we don't do them. And when we don't do them, we think that they just don't work. But the reality is they often don't work because we're not actually doing them. Does that make sense? So God doesn't give us new light until we follow the light that he already knows. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall of man. I want you to look, um, and we know the story. <coughs> Excuse me. Eve was tempted by the serpent and so forth. And she eats from the tree, and then she gives it to Adam. But I want you to notice what happens. Adam and Eve, in chapter 3, leave behind a covenant relationship, and they actually enter into a contract relationship, right? So they eat from the tree. God comes. He asks them about it. What's going on here? And what does Adam say in verse 12? It says, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. That's kind of like one of those things that when the children are misbehaving, you say, your son or your daughter, right? The woman you gave me, she tricked me and I ate, or I ate, right? She gave to me. So they entered into this contract relationship, which was actually the exact opposite of the covenant relationship. They were pulled, instead of being brought together in every way, they were what? They were pulled apart by their own choices. The contract relationship says, we, I would rather split you in two than for me to be split in two. So now instead of, instead of me becoming the, the sacrifice for the well-being of the other, I'm sacrificing them for my perceived good, right? That's a, it's the exact opposite. And let me ask you a question. Most relationships today in the world, are they based on a covenant or a contract relationship? On a contract will serve myself above you and seek my good rather than yours. I'm seeking my good and my needs are met at whose expense? Your expense. Do you realize that many people today, maybe even some of you, entered into marriage with the mindset, this, I finally found the person that can meet my needs. That's why I'm marrying them. And the day that they can't meet my needs, what happens? Take it back to Walmart. True, yes or no? That's the reality. That is the sad reality. And some people do it under the cloak of spirituality. Very unfortunate. 
I can only be with you if you meet my needs. This carries me into a cycle of empty selfishness, but I pursue it anyway. And so this cycle continues. We blame each other, and then we resent each other, and then we kind of make up because my needs are getting strong now and I need my needs met, and then the need get, gets met, and then I re, just spiral right back into that cycle. It's very, very unfortunate. So I'm seeking to use you rather than to bless you. I become self-focused rather than other focus. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 through 19. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but you can write it down. So from chapter 2, we have a what kind of relationship? A covenant relationship. And chapter 3, we have what kind of relationship? A contract relationship. As you look at these two differences, don't nudge your spouse, but answer the question in your own heart, which type of relationship do I have? in my marriage. Which type of relationship? And don't think to yourself, oh, well, yeah, I'm chapter two, but he's chapter three. I'm the covenant, but he's the contract. Think about yourself. Answer that question for yourself. Better yet, actually don't answer the question yourself because you will be selfish and you will be self-focused and self-absorbed, and you will be blind to your real reality. Ask God to answer that question for you. Ask God to answer that question for you. Are you a covenant or a contract relationship? Because when we're in the covenant relationship, the closer we are to God, the closer we are to each other. In a contract relationship, for some reason or another, namely sin of various kinds, Adam was running away from God, yes or no? And when he went away from God, he went away from also who? He went away from Eve as well. Does that make sense, yes or no? And so when he went away from God, he naturally got further and further away from Eve <coughs> until it was very comfortable and very convenient for him to just throw her under the bus and say the woman that you gave me, she gave to me and I ate, rather than taking the responsibility for ourselves. See, in a covenant relationship, we take responsibility for ourselves. In a contract relationship, we bear the responsibility upon others, and we try to escape all responsibility that we have. So here's, remember the joyous covenant, God's Genesis 2 plan, spiritual maturity, social interaction, mental connection, limited emotional connection, then marriage, then physical intimacy, and then complete and mental emotionally. Now, I want, you to, I want you to notice that Satan's plan for this world and Satan's plan for you is the exact opposite of that. Are you ready? Watch this. Here's the contract relationship. Satan's counterfeit. I have some kind of social interaction. By the way, <clears throat> this is very interesting, that when you have a fight with your spouse, when you have a disagreement with your spouse, watch and see and beware, take guard to yourselves, take heed to yourselves, that Satan will not bring someone into your life to interact with who will be able to meet the need that they have not met. Some of you are thinking, whoa, how does he know that? 
because it happens to us too. Your wife wasn't as sweet as you thought you wanted her to be that morning? Well, God will bring that coworker to be so sweet to you that day. Got in that fight and, and she just, he just didn't understand me? You can be sure that Satan will bring someone to you who will know just how to listen to your every need and your every, every worry. Satan does this. He brings that social interaction from another place, a place that he's designed himself from Genesis chapter 3. You understand? Then what happens is there's a social interaction that often leads to what? Physical intimacy. It doesn't happen right away. The path to adultery is not instantaneous. It's, it's premeditated. It's, it's progressive. You understand? And then once, once that happens, then there becomes a full emotional attachment. Now, there's some emotional attachment that's going on between the social and the physical. You understand? Are you with me? There's some of that going on, okay? But what happens is, is when, when that emotional takes place and that physical intimacy takes place, the two shall become what? The two shall become one. One flesh. And here's what happens in the world of married and unmarried people. Unmarried people, they have that attachment to that person, and then they give themselves over to them in every way before they've allowed God's plan to interact. And once that happens, there's this, there's this attachment that takes place because you have just given yourself to a person in a way that God has intended you to do only with one person for eternity. Okay? Are you with me there? And then, and then what happens after that is once I have interacted with that person, once there's some kind of physical intimacy, once there's some type of full emotional attachment, then I begin to think about the choices I've been making. I begin to interact with that person on a thought basis, and I begin to realize, oh, hey, we're actually not as compatible as I thought. Why did, what was I even thinking when I was hanging out with this person and, and, and started to do foolish things? Are you with me? And then there's never a spiritual connection that ever takes place and there's a breakup or a quick divorce if marriage, and then the cycle repeats. And this is why, friends, when young people get themselves involved in a relationship that is inappropriate, and they get physical, they do all these foolish things, and then when they break up that relationship, they weep and they cry and their hearts are broken and they're all torn up and their brains are a mess, their emotions are a wreck, and they wonder, why is it feeling so bad about this? Why is this? Because you have just done, you have attached yourself, you have become one flesh with a person who is not your husband. And you haven't thought it through, you haven't followed God's plan, you understand? Does that make sense? And then once you do have that experience, that breakup or that divorce quickly after marriage, then you begin to wake up and realize, oh, I, I did a foolish thing, but now you're vulnerable because you've had that experience and the cycle begins to repeat. This is Satan's plan for the world. It's, God, it's the exact opposite of God's plan. Do you understand? Okay? So God's marriage covenant, look in Genesis 3, verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Then in verse 21, he says, 
Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So God looked at this original situation, which was many of our situations, and he comes along and he says, you know what? I established you in a covenant relationship. But you have broken that, you have violated that, you have gone to a contract relationship. Instead of being split in two for each other, you're rather splitting each other in two, right? And so God comes along and he says, you know what? I'll be willing to actually be split in two for you to bring you back together and to bring us back together, us and him. Amen? I'm very thankful for that this morning. Yeah? Praise the Lord. That's exactly what God does. So look at this. In a contract relationship, it's a common legal document regulated by the state. You want your marriage to be regulated? Or do you want it to be a sacred moral agreement overseen by God? Which one do you want? You want a contract or a covenant? A contract is based upon mistrust between two people. A covenant is based upon trust between two people in God. Contract is written to create liability. A covenant is accepted to embrace unlimited responsibility. Contract is embedded with an opt-out or termination clause. A covenant is intended to be permanent. A contract demands joy through mutual benefit, and a covenant seeks joy through mutual sacrifice. I you can say amen. Here's some more. Contract, I have to. Covenant, I want to. Contract in a person involves something I have to do. It involves all that I am. I become, that, I become with that one with that other person. A contract is conditional. If you do your part, I'll do mine. A covenant is I'll do my part whether you do yours or not. Because there's a greater power moving my heart and my life. Amen? A contract says I look out for my own interests. Covenant, I'm looking out for yours. Contract, I want assurance that you will do your part. Covenant, I will certainly do my part. Contract, what will it take? Covenant, whatever it takes. Contract, I'll meet you halfway. Covenant, I'll give 100%, even more. Contract, once all stipulations have been met, the contract is over. I will continue to do this as long as I draw breath, says the covenant. Amen? Look at this. Covenant love is rational compared to irrational. Thought-based versus feeling-based. Joy versus happiness, earthly happiness. Pleasure of another, self-pleasure. As sex is an impression of love, sex is an act of passion. Love is a choice. Love is a feeling. Covenant love is unconditional versus conditional. We mentioned some of these already. Uh, Controversy process or controversy is avoided. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is an option. Marriage is a living promise. Marriage is a piece of paper. Love is what we do, or love is what we do until something better comes along. See the difference? Uh, It's you, or us, or me, forever, as as long as it feels good, we're secure or insecure. Isn't that interesting? How many of you think that we ought to have more of covenant relationships? Amen? You see, a covenant relationship is not dependent. It is not dependent upon the other person. A covenant relationship is dependent upon what you decide and what you choose and what God empowers you to do. Amen? The other person may not, doesn't have to be living a covenant relationship for you to do so. But if you take the initiative to do that, 
then it can inspire and influence and set the example for them to make the same decision in their life. Amen? Yes or no? I may believe that to be true this morning. There are five areas of a covenant marriage, and we're going to talk about these next week, but I'm going to give them to you real quick this morning. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to give you the first one. The first one is commitment. What is it? Commitment. Now, this week we kind of looked at the theology of marriage. I mean, you think that you learned something from that, the importance of a covenant versus a contract relationship. Amen? Next week we're going to look at some more of the, uh, more of the practical side of it through commitment, through sacrifice, through honesty, and various uh, characteristics that ought to embody a marriage. Amen? A marriage that's designed by God. But this morning, I want to ask you a question today. How many of you want to have a covenant relationship? Amen? I want to go with you to one more verse in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Some people will say, yeah, but Pastor Wes, I would like to have that. I really wish I could have that. But fill in the blank. You got your situation? We've all got those situations. Everybody has a situation in their marriage some kind of circumstance that if they chose, they could enter into that contract relationship. What do you think? Is that true, yes or no? Yes? But look in Matthew chapter 18. Now you realize this is part one of two. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. I love this verse. Matthew 18 and verse 19. He says, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, It will, what does it say? It what? It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Here's the point I want to leave you with this week. And we're going to pick up next week. No matter where your situation is, whether you're single, whether you're separated, whether you're divorced, whether you're married, whatever your situation is, if you can agree with God and agree with each other that His will is for you not to just to be together, but to be blessed and to be prosperous and to be a blessing to one another, if you can agree that God wants you to have a covenant relationship with each other, it may be your future spouse or whatever, then do you believe this morning that God can do that for you? If you will believe that and if you will agree on that, God can do anything in your marriage. I've heard story after story after story of people whose marriage was abysmal. They were at the end of the rope. The only reason they had on was because of the kids. But by agreeing that they would not give up on each other, the the, the word divorce ought to never enter your home. My wife and I agreed on that when we first got married. The word divorce would not come from our lips. But if you'll agree, I believe today that the God of heaven, the God of covenants, can do a miracle. Amen? I don't want to assume today that everyone's marriage is a wreck, but we've all got issues, don't we? We, how many of you got issues? How many know your spouse has got issues? Right? We all know because we're all sinners. It's just the reality. We don't have to pretend about it. 
But if we're willing to look up together, 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 and if we're willing to agree, God can do a work that we cannot do for ourselves. I believe that to be true this morning. So once again, how many of you want that covenant relationship? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.